get into Obadiah. Let me read for you from the word of the Lord. If those of you who weren't here a couple of weeks ago, we, we did the overview of Obadiah, the shortest of the books in the Old Testament, one chapter long. Um, it only has in it 21 verses. It's a minor prophet, minor because it's brief, not because it's not important. And a few weeks ago, we did an overview of it, looking at, at what the whole book was about. And tonight, we're going to start one of a four-part series going through it verse by verse. So let me read from you the first nine verses of, from the prophet Obadiah. The vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise, and let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, Who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked. His hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive you and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Eden, men of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, O Timan, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. I, I don't know what you think the, the biggest sin is. Uh, that's probably not the wrong word. That's probably not the right word. What, what sin has caused, if you like, resulted in, participated in, occurred the wrath of God's judgment and, and terrible things that have happened throughout history. We think of all the war and violence done and all those sorts of things, and, and we see how God has brought judgment upon people and upon nations. What, what, what would you put in there is probably that which incurs the wrath of God the most. My suggestion would be it's, it's the sin that is highlighted in these nine verses of the book of Obadiah. And I think it's something that we need to look at. A sin that is outlined in Obadiah chapter 1 verse 3. The pride of your heart has deceived you. The book of Proverbs outlines seven things that God hates. Number one on the list is haughty eyes. And everyone who looks at that understands that means pride. Number one on the list of things that God hates is pride. This attitude where we put ourselves above God. Where we see that we have advantages over others. 
It leads to all sorts of things. It leads to treachery, it leads to prejudice, it leads to envy, it leads to dissension. It leads to all sorts of ways in which we are inhumane to other people. Ways in which there is friction caused, ways in which we sin. But mostly it's a sin against God. It is, if you like, the sin that Satan did, which got him tossed out of heaven. The book of Isaiah, as it's talking about a, a condemnation against a particular king, the prophet Isaiah moves and, and, and kind of equates this guy with Lucifer, Satan. He says this in Isaiah chapter 14. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. Why? Why was Satan tossed out of heaven, if you like? Verse 13, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Ezekiel does the same thing in his prophecies. He's prophesying against the king of Tyre. As he's trying to say why God is bringing judgment upon the king of Tyre, he equates the sin that this king is committing with Satan. He says this, You were anointed as a guardian cherub, an angel, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. Through your wicked, widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. And right from the very beginning with Adam and Eve, we see that their sin, that which had them tossed out of the Garden of Eden, was the desire to be like God. Genesis chapter 3. The serpent, Satan, says to them, You will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from your eyes, you will be opened and you will be like God. This was the desire that they would be like God. They wanted to have that position instead of their position. They wanted to be like him. And this was the sin of Edom, pride. Pride is displayed as stubbornness, lawlessness, rebellion. Pride does not respect or fear God. Pride, you see, we don't see God's holiness, his majesty, his power. So pride exists when we fail to see God properly. Pride doesn't listen. Pride doesn't submit to God. But pride's not something that exists outside of ourselves. You can see here in verse 3, the pride of your heart. Pride is something which is internal within us. It's, it's a part of our attitude. It's a part of our perspective. It, it becomes a part of our spirit. It's how we think of other people and how we think of ourselves. What God is saying to Edom here, though, is that pride works against us. Pride actually brings us low. 
Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 18, 12 says, Before the downfall of the heart, before a downfall, the heart is haughty, it's proud. But before humility, but humility instead comes before honour. You see, pride is one of those sins that flatters us. Uh, It deceives us. If you like, pride justifies the things that we're doing when we have absolutely no excuse. It, It makes us feel right when we're wrong, when we're wicked. It makes us feel invincible when we're about to be destroyed. And the reason this happens is because pride acts in agreement with the very nature and purposes of Satan. And pride destroys nations, as we're going to read in the book of Obadiah. And pride destroys individuals in the same way. I just want to bring out four things, four ways in which the people of Edom have been, if you like, blinded by their pride the way that they have, their pride has deceived them and therefore their destruction is going to be brought about. The first is in verses 1 and 2. Pride blinds us to the sovereignty of God. Verse 1 and 2, we read that God is in control. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The people in Edom thought that because of where they lived, because of their natural resources, because of their army, they were invincible. No one could touch them. They figured that they were, because of their allies, they were safe. They had forgotten that the one who gave them all of those natural resources, the one who had given them protection was God himself. They thought they had done it for themselves. They had forgotten who God was. You see, pride tends to say, we have achieved this which actually God has achieved for us. They had forgotten that God sets up and brings down nations. Success, peace, and prosperity are actually a gift from God. Natural resources are a gift from God. And as he gives them to people, so he can take them away from people. Read the end of what was read this morning in Proverbs chapter 3, towards the end of Proverbs chapter 3. There's a comment in there that righteousness brings prosperity. If you walk in accordance with God, then you have this. If you walk away from God, if you reject God being the one who's in control then ruin will be brought to you. Just a quick application of this for us. Think of ourselves as a nation. Australia. Most nations what they are. We're a successful nation. We have abundant natural resources. We're financially secure. What's the attitude of us, not just individually, but as a nation at the moment? We fail to recognise that these things are gifts from God. We fail to recognize the sovereignty of God. And just like the nation of Edom, we may well find that God removes them from us or removes us from them. When we continue to put our trust in our natural resources, 
or our people or our army to protect us or our allies to save us or our thinkers to help us. We've lost sight of God. And I wonder how our politicians are thinking that they can manoeuvre everything to bring prosperity and success in a vacuum when they failed to recognise God is sovereign. This was Edom's problem. They were going to have these people come down upon them and what does God say? I'm sending these guys. I've sent out a messenger to them saying, go get them. I'm going to be the one who's orchestrating your downfall. What about us individually? You look at your intellect, look at your gifts, you look at your material possessions, look at the family that you've been born into. And you say, these things I've achieved, or they bring me prosperity, or they will bring me safety. But when we fail to understand that all of those things are gifts from God, we put ourselves in the position of Edom, where he may say, I gave them to you, I'm going to take them away from you. I can do that. Pride, when we fail to acknowledge God, means it blinds us to the fact that God is sovereign in the events of our life. Just as God gave, he can take away. And their security, as far as they were concerned, was because of where they were and what they had. And God says, no, you've forgotten. I'm the king. And it comes out in the second thing that they're blinded to. Pride blinds us to the, if you like, the smallness of our safety. Read in verses 3 and 4, The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Do you remember, if you were here for the overview of Obadiah, they lived in a mountainous region. If you've seen Indiana Jones, uh, the one with the, the that, which one is it, the, the chalice, what's it, what? The Last Crusade, sorry. Um, that, that's where they lived, that was their, their main city. And we mentioned back then that the historians and those who do warfare type stuff say, 12 men standing across that canyon could protect the city from an army. And they thought they were safe. They thought that their natural advantages, they thought that their wealth, they thought their position meant that no one could touch them. And then verse 4, Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. You might put yourself in a position where you think, I'm safe. I've got this stuff that's going to protect me. We do it as a nation. I'm not getting into politics, but just listening at the rhetoric about our border protection, all the things that we're going to do to keep us safe. How, you know, in terms of what we let people say and not say, what we let people do or don't do, the way that we save up our money and put it into funds and do this for safety and everything else, without an acknowledgement of God, we fail to realise how shallow that is. If anything came out of the big financial boo-boos a couple of years ago, it was that people recognised how little security the finances gave to them. My feeling is they've forgotten that already. 
You see, pride, when we leave God out of the picture, fails to recognize that our margin for safety is really fairly small. They thought as they were up in that impregnable fortress that no one could get them. And God says, well, hold on a second. Even if you were much higher, even if you had your home in the stars, I'd bring you down. I'll take you down. Those of you interested in the, in the English language, this is where you're going to go down comes from. Right? It's a Bible phrase. God says it to Edom. You're going down. doesn't matter where you are, you're going down. There's nowhere you can hide. It's not wrong to feel safe. It's not wrong to want safety. But we only actually have safety in God. Romans chapter 8 says, What will I say in response to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The place where I can find safety is in God. The psalmist says, Don't put your trust in princes, in human beings who can save. For when they die... They go into the ground. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the father, the foreigner, and sustains the fatherless. The Lord reigns forever. Prophet Jeremiah says, don't trust in deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple. The prophet Jeremiah, there were people coming to attack and the Jews were standing sinful in the city of Jerusalem and they're saying, it's safe. And Jeremiah says, no, it's not. And they said, yes, it is. He said, why? He said, well, this is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. If we say it enough times, recognizing that this is where we're safe, everything will be cool. And Jeremiah says, if you really change your ways, if you change your actions and deal with each other justly, if you don't oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow and don't shed blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods, then I will let you live. If you walk with me, then you're safe. If you don't do those things, no matter where you are, no matter where you've been, you're not safe. You know, I think for people who... Who, who go through this life without a recognition of, of God. And you talk to them and they have financial security and they have intellectual wellness and they have emotional security and they live in a nice place and they say, I'm fine. They fail to realize individually they're not. Because all that happens is they die and then they're in the judgment seat of God. The only place of safety is in the hands of God. The only place of safety is walking with God. It's not just true individually, it's true for us as a nation. If we as a nation fail to turn back to God, we have no safety. These these things don't count. That's the second thing. So it blinds us. Pride blinds us to the smallness of how safe we are. Thirdly, Pride blinded Edom, and it blinds us, of the sinfulness of man. Sounds weird. Let me read verses 5, 6, and 7. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. 
would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, all his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. The Edomites thought, we have allies. They'll look after us. They thought, we have our protections. It'll look after us. But if not, we have allies. And even if people come, we can hide and they can just pillage and plunder a little bit and then they'll go away. You see, they, they didn't understand that people are not basically good. Our, our human nature without God is sinful. Jeremiah says, The heart of man is desperately wicked, naturally wicked. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? This to me is one of the things which I think we struggle with the most, to say that men and women are basically wicked. Without God to begin redeeming them by his work and his work alone in their lives, our natural tendency is to be proud and to be selfish and to do bad towards other people. We get glimpses of, of in, in our society of the wickedness of people with murders and, and rape and abuse and those sorts of things. And you just have to look at the prevalence of such things even within our society. The you know, prevalence of divorce. As people can't live together, they're selfish and they want for themselves. And there's all sorts of reasons, I understand that. But the heart of mankind is wicked. And pride deceives us to say this isn't so. These people thought that just like robbers, you know, if someone breaks into your house, they're not going to like steal everything, right? Who steals the rubbish out of your garden? I mean, out of your rubbish bin? I mean, who takes everything? There's always something that's useless, right? You expect them to take the television, the DVD player. Well, I don't know about television. The DVD player, the computer. You know, you expect that to go, but you, you reckon they'll leave you your bed and your mattresses and all that other sort of stuff. God says, no, you don't understand. When these people come, they're going to take everything. It's going to be ransacked. Everything's gone. The people who you think and trust to protect you, your allies, they're going to force you to the border and they're going to overpower you. The people who eat bread with you are the ones who are going to set a trap for you. We get into this habit and think that people are basically good. And I think we think we're basically good. And it's a sign of pride to fail to recognize that the only one who's dependable in life is God. The only ally who's dependable is God. He's the only one who's trustworthy. I know and I can see on a few faces people saying that's just not fair. I know a lot of good people. You have to look at standards and then you have to look around the world at what God has to say about it. He says, no, without me in people's lives, 
our tendency is towards wickedness. We live in a safe society. We live in one where we, we, we think that things are okay. But you just need to talk to people and scratch a little bit below the surface and to find out how often the person whom we think is our friend betrays us. Family members abuse other family members emotionally, physically, sexually. People cheat and they steal and they lie. That's on an individual level and that's just not even going nationally. The people that we trust to be our allies hack us, steal our information, take our money. What's the purpose of saying all of that? The purpose is to understand that we live in a world which God controls and if we actually want to feel safe and secure, we have to depend upon him. We can't depend on the people. We can find people who are dependable, but we have to do it under the recognition that God is the one who's at control and God is the one who is working in people's lives to bring them across our path. In other words, our, our primary trust has to be in him. Fourthly, lastly, for these guys, pride blinds to where sound thinking comes from. Verses 8 and 9. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, T-man, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. They were depending on their intellectuals and their warriors that was their sound thinking as to where they were going to get their safety from. They thought that their intellect, their study, their military manoeuvres, their strategies would protect them. But having lost sight of a sovereign God, not recognising that he could bring about their destruction at an instant, that they even of themselves, their thinking, because he wasn't in the picture, was futile. He was going to mix it all up. He was going to take it away. I think of our nation. So much that we think is going to save us. So many ways that we act that will bring a society to a better place. I thought of lots of examples. Some of them I just don't want to throw out there. But one, for example, that came to my mind. I can't understand from the way that God thinks and what he says in his word, how we as a nation could think that killing the unborn is good for families. That doesn't make any sense to me. And you just have to read some of the legislation that's going out there and think, this is supposed to be intelligent behaviour? As a nation that we would think this is okay? It's foolishness. And there are so many other things. The problem is that as you mention them, people get intensely offended. Now, hold on a second, I think like that. Because we fall into the track of rather than going back to the scriptures to say, God, how do you think about this situation? We think our intellect is going to provide for us a way towards prosperity. We think that sound thinking and wisdom comes from the way that we interact without God in the picture. So we have debates about gay marriage. We have debates about how we treat the aliens who come and live in our land. 
we have debates about how we need to have financial security to be healthy and wise and happy. We have arguments in our universities about evolution. We leave God out of the picture. However it is, we think that our wisdom is going to pick us up. Edom did the same thing. They thought their thinking was going to provide them a place of security. I think the word that God would say to them is, you're insane. If you leave me out of the picture, I can just mix it up. Because sound thinking doesn't come from that. It's my world, says God. I'll bring it about. And so this is what brings destruction on people of Edom. In the next few weeks, we'll go into some other areas where God is speaking through the prophet. But in these verses, he's saying to Edom, your heart is proud and it's deceived you. It's blinded you to the fact that I am God. It's blinded you to the fact that your prosperity and everything else comes from me. And you think your safety is there already, but until you turn to me in righteousness, you're not safe. You'll only have prosperity and safety when you follow my law. It's my world. I set the boundaries for it. You trust the people around you. You trust yourself. He said, people are wicked. Don't do that. They're going to deceive you and they're going to, they're going to, um, they're going to come behind and they're going to stab you in the back. He says, no matter how strongly you think, because you failed to put me in the picture, you're fools. How do I take all of that back to us? Well, for us as a nation, I think it's fairly easy. If I were you, pray for our nation. Pray that our leaders turn back to bring God into the picture. Otherwise, no matter how much their wise thinking is, in the end, they're going to fall flat on their faces and the judgment of God will come. Pray that we have leaders who acknowledge God so that as they develop policies, they will do them with him in the picture. Because if not, we as a nation, we have no certainty for the future in this world. None whatsoever. These nations have gone. Edom is gone. And I suggest to you that if Australia falls down the same pathway where we continually reject God, then God will bring the same judgment upon us when we fail to acknowledge him. Pray for wise leaders. We've got an election coming up. Get on your knees and pray that the people who are put into those positions are people who acknowledge God. Think about it yourself. Should you jump into those positions and get people there who acknowledge God in positions who, who can make some sort of difference? Write to your politicians. Say, hold on a second. That's not right. God's not in the picture. They might never write back. My local member is K. Rudd. He never responds to me. I have no idea why, because I put things so politely. Right? But keep writing. Say, hold on a second. You can't do that. That's against the law of God. Remind them. Keep, keep trying to help us as a nation. Pray for us. Pray for the leaders. If we fail to do that, then in many ways we deserve what we get. But individually, let me encourage you. Don't allow your heart to displace God in things. Most of you live in a safe home. You're reasonably intelligent. Some of you are very intelligent. You've got money. 
You've got good prospects. You come from a good family. You've got a career ahead of you. Do you think all of those things are going to keep you safe? You just have to look back at the history of people in our nation or in the church who thought they've had everything together and all they need to do is lose their job and their world falls apart because that was what gave them security. Their marriage falls apart and that was what gave them security. They put their security in all of these things and when it's gone, they feel hopeless and helpless. The only one who can provide that security so that when you go through all those difficulties of life, because they will come, because we're surrounded by people who generally don't live in accordance with God's way. Then you have a security because if you walk in righteousness and you walk with Christ in your life, he promises that he will take you safely through to eternal life with him. So that when your life falls apart and you lose your job, it wasn't what kept you secure. God was who kept you secure. And he's still there, still holding you, and he promises he will supply all your needs. You can confidently walk with him. He's your security. And the same goes for so many other things. Think about what it is that you think keeps you safe. If it's not God, then it fades. Just another application there. If you don't follow Christ, if he's not the one who is your king and your Lord, then your safety is even less secure in life in general. Because when your life ends, there's no security. You actually have a promise of God's judgment and condemnation upon you. Thursday this week, I did a funeral. Funeral for a guy who a year ago didn't know Jesus, who was facing a death from cancer with no hope for the future. He became a Christian in the last Alpha course. And three weeks ago, as, as the cancer is taking hold of his body, and he, he can see in front of him a lot of pain. He had lung cancer. I said to him, what can we pray for you about? He said, I just want to go home to be with my Jesus. And he died last week, this week, last Sunday. And, and talking with his family, he died at peace. Because he knew he was going home. He was safe and secure in the hands of Jesus. That's safety. And if you don't have that confidence then there is no safety. Don't put your trust in those around you or your wise thinking. Instead, trust in God. Live righteously. And he promises he will look after you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the sovereign Lord. All aspects of our life are in your hands. I pray that you will keep us thinking of you in our lives. Father, never let us get to the stage where we put ourselves outside of following your way. Never let us try and live life as if we are the ones in control. Please, I pray that you will keep us as a church, as a nation, as individuals, focused on the fact that you are the sovereign Lord. 
Father, I pray that you will help us never to seek to find our security in the people around us. Father, we do pray for good people around us who will keep us safe. But Father, under your hand and guidance, help us never to find our security in our wealth or our job. Father, we do pray for enough blessings to, to live in this world and we pray for good jobs. But Father, help us to have the security that those things are under your good hand. Father, help us not to have the security in our own intellect and our own abilities to achieve stuff. Father, we do pray that each of us will, will find our unique place in this world to use our skills and abilities to encourage others and to do good. But under your good hand, we pray. And Father, we ask that you will do the same thing for us as a church and a nation. I pray all of these things in your most holy and blessed name. Amen.